G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Now, all of these things are unbelievably believable. They're a bit fantastical, but once you think about them, only Christ can do them. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff preaches from Matthew chapter 21 as Jesus takes his ministry public, asking the people of Jerusalem to either crown or kill him. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem, it's like Jesus is looking everyone in the eye and saying this, here I am, crown me or kill me. Face-to-face confrontation. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We start a new series today called Unbelievably Believable, okay? And uh, it's really based on the character and the miraculous doings of Jesus Christ as we trace what happens to him when he enters into Jerusalem. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles over to Matthew 21. I'm going to read verse 7 just in a moment. Matthew 21, the triumphal entry. Answer a few questions, though, before we get there so I can get your mind going down the right directions, okay? True or false? True or false? Bill Gates earns one thousand two hundred and fifty. Dollars per second. (laughs) True, true, true. All right, wow. Uh, Number two, the universe will have expanded some 90 miles during the time it takes me to deliver this message. True, 90 miles. It's just amazing. Uh, Scientists in 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 a ironic way have literally proved the existence of a first cause because now we know the universe is not eternal, that it had a beginning point and it's expanding at a rapid pace. So there is a first cause. Three, Nike earns $3,000 every five seconds. True, true. Now, how about this one? The average Nike employee earns 0.00012 cents every five seconds. True, don't you love that? No, you don't, do you? Number five, you probably got it. These are true. (laughs) McDonald's serves 1% of the world's population every 24 hours. (laughs) That's amazing. That's true. But here's what's truer. One in every eight Americans has worked at McDonald's. That's scary. (laughs) That's scary. One out of every eight has worked at McDonald's. Number seven, more people are killed each year by vending machines than by sharks. That's true. That's true. Now, don't tell the shark that. He doesn't know that. So if you're in the water, you can't say, hey, vending machines are more likely to kill me than you are right now. It won't work. Here's the easiest one, though. My wife can force me to do something by simply giving me the stink eye. Is that true? Oh, yeah, you better believe it's true. Now, all of these things are unbelievably believable. They're a bit fantastical, but once you think about them, they actually did take place and are taking place. When you look at the Jesus story and the narratives, you're going to discover something similar, that these are things that are amazing, but if you remember who Jesus is, they will be unbelievably believable, that only Christ could do them. 
Now, we're going to move ahead then. I need to get started quickly. In Matthew 21, uh, Jesus changes everything about the way he's approached his ministry. I need you to stay with me on these things, okay? Because before, he's kind of done most of his work out in the rural areas. He's avoided the metropolitan areas and done most of his things out in the countryside and the villages. But then in Matthew 21, suddenly he tells his disciples to go and get a, uh, a donkey and a colt, a, a young donkey. And he says, if somebody asks you, why are you taking these? Just say to them, the master uh, has need of these things and he will give them to you. And they go ahead and they get this donkey. And Jesus sits on the donkey and comes riding into Jerusalem now. We're in the metropolitan, the major city, the religious Mecca. He comes riding in and they put their clothes down, uh, symbolizing a coming uh, conqueror, someone who's conquered and now we're celebrating. They put their clothes on the road and they put clothes on the donkey so he doesn't have to sit bareback to talk about the king who has come will conquer not only now but in the future. And then they wave these palm branches everywhere, which has uh, messianic uh, uh, fulfilling the prophecy. And we'll get to more of that in a moment. But the point is, when he comes into Jerusalem, there's a major shift. Because all through Jesus' ministry, he keeps his ministry on the down low, right? He heals a young girl and he says, keep quiet, don't tell anybody. That's so opposite of our selfie generation, isn't it? Uh, he, he heals a blind man and he says to the blind man, Go tell the religious leaders and give glory to God. Don't talk about me. Even when he heals Jairus' daughter. You know, the whole family's just elated. And he says, look, don't go in the town and tell everybody I did this. Now, why is he doing that? Well, because he's trying to manage his own death. In other words, he's more than willing to die. And he knows that's the reason for which he's been sent into the world. But if he confronts the religious leaders too soon, they're going to kill him. Now, this is what's interesting. Think about how the world has not changed. These religious leaders knew the Messiah was coming one day. They were looking for the Messiah to come. And they knew that Jesus did a lot of the things that the Messiah was supposed to do. So for all practical purposes, if it, what, walks like a duck, talks like a duck, you know, it's probably a duck. Jesus looked like the Messiah, did the things the Messiah would do, and yet they still wanted to kill him. Why? Because politics has not changed, my friend, for 2,000 years. Truth matters very little, does it? What really matters is keeping power. And even though Jesus could rescue them and save them, it was more important for them to keep power in the political world than to be rescued and saved by a Messiah. And so Jesus now has decided that he's going to move his ministry from the countryside. And it starts what we know is, is that time of passion that leads up until the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection. As he does... Look at what happens in verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd, so now it's a large crowd, spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna doesn't mean hooray, yay. It means save us. Save us from our captivity and our pain and our suffering. And they called him the son of David out loud. And then they quote a messianic psalm. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, I believe. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then the Bible says in verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city. So there are people coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. There are people who are already in the city of Jerusalem coming out to see what this 
this noise, this parade is all about. And then the Bible says they all began to ask the question, who is this guy? So Jesus moves everything now into the public arena, out of the countryside, into the capital city, and everybody's shouting Messiah, and Jesus is welcoming their cries. Now, just in Matthew 20, uh, a blind man comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, son of David, uh, Messiah, gives him all these messianic terms. In the past, in the book of Matthew, Jesus would go, shh, keep that on the down low. But this time, the guy says, Jesus, Messiah, son of David. And Jesus says, yes. What do you want? In front of everybody, he says, I want to see. Okay. And he heals him publicly. And then he moves into Jerusalem. And now, this ministry that has been private in a rural area, man, Jesus said, it's the time. Now, let me help you understand what this is like, and I'll move on. Uh, Go back to my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies, Hoosier. Remember, this is based on the 1951 Milan team who won the state championship in Indiana basketball. In the true story, in the movie version, Gene Hackman plays Coach Norman Dale. He comes to town to take over the team, but it's a small town, and there's a coach there that's not willing to give the team up. So the old coach looks at Coach Norman Dale, played by Gene Hackman, and he says, you know, I thought you'd go two hours and me one hour, then maybe you one and me two, and we'll just trade off. And then what does Coach Norman Dale do? He looks at him and says, let me get this thing straight. Let, Let me help you understand. Your coaching days are over. And then the guy makes a threat. And he says this. He said, look, mister, there's two kinds of dumb. He's the guy that gets naked and runs out in the snow and barks at the moon. And then there's the guy who does the same thing in my living room. First one don't matter much. Second one you're kind of forced to deal with. (laughs) Jesus is not only taking his ministry public, he's taking it into the front lawn of the religious leaders right into Jerusalem. And then what does he do after this? If you know the scripture, then he goes over to the temple He starts turning the tables over. He starts rearranging the furniture. And he says, you've turned my house, your house. You've turned my house, a house that was meant to be a house of prayer into a den of thieves, your house. And then he starts turning the tables over. I mean, if you come into my house and you start rearranging the furniture, you're going to have to answer to my wife. (laughs) Because the only one who has that right is the owner. And I know who the owner of everything I have is. Believe me, I'm under no illusion. Jesus Christ, in this cloak of secrecy, for some time suddenly comes in and says, I'm the one. And it's not just what Jesus proclaims, it's how he does it. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Preaching from Matthew chapter 21, Pastor Jeff tells us about Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem when people are compelled to crown or kill him. Okay, I'm trying to sit down to be, save my energy, but I just, sometimes I can't. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. When Jesus comes in to communicate this, remember we said that we live in a, a written culture. Jesus lived in a storytelling culture. It's about narrative. So everything he's going to do when he comes into Jerusalem has symbolism. It has reason to it. Why does he choose a donkey, a small donkey that's never been ridden? Why the palm branches? Why does he say what he ends up? All of these things are hugely significant. And so what we discover is that if we're going to have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to memorize these three things. It's going to have three aspects to it. Number one, face to face. Say that on the count of three. One, two, three, face to face. Number two, it's going to be side by side. One, two, three, side by side. And finally, three, it's going to be seat to seat. One, two, three, seat to seat. So faith, if we're going to have a relationship with Jesus, it's your, your call, your choice, face to face, side to side, 
seat to seat. All right, let's start with face to face. To face. What, what do I mean? When I think of face to face, I think of sumo wrestlers. Hunkering down, <laughs> looking at each other eye to eye, and then the, 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 the confrontation's about to begin. For some reason, I can't help it, I think of Nacho uh, Libre. It's one of my favorite movies. It's a fantastic movie. I don't know why I think of that. I think of boxers and wrestlers. I think of Jeremiah and me going after it somewhere. Just <laughs> right together, you know, we're mano a mano. Tim Keller in this passage wrote an incredible book about uh, what happens in the last weeks of Jesus. And he basically says that when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, something dramatic happens. It's like Jesus is looking everyone in the eye and saying this, here I am, crown me or kill me. Crown me or kill me. Face-to-face confrontation. Accept me and give me everything or reject me and even kill me. Crown me or kill me. He goes on to say that Jesus is the only person that I have ever heard of or known who was unbelievably humble and not at all modest. Think about the great humility Jesus shared. I mean, he'd meet with women in a day that you didn't do that. And he gave all kinds of of, of gentleness and kindness to the Samaritan woman and then to the woman caught in adultery. And then he had the little children come sit on his lap. Uh, Even when he healed Jairus' daughter, uh, the original language says that he bent down on one knee to this little girl and he said, sweetheart, honey, wake up. And she woke up. He's gentle, he's kind to strangers, to all nationalities, to every race, to every gender. And yet, he's not at all modest because he stands up in the temple and he says, before Abraham was, I am. That's a big call, man. He's saying, you see this universe? Made it. (laughs) Sun, moon, stars, me. Ocean, whales, me again. You know, atoms, atmosphere, me. And... Not only did I make it, I hold it all together. If I just do this, it'll all fall apart. That's that's not at all modest. Before Abraham was, I am. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Peter, look into my eyes. What do you see? God. That's who you see. God. I mean, that's a big call. And he said, no one, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me again. Me. Incredibly humble and gentle, but not at all modest. In other words, he's saying when he rides into Jerusalem, D.A. Carson describes this so well, one of the most respected theologian philosophers says, when he rides in, he's basically changing the scene. And he said, okay, here I am in the front yard. Crown me or kill me, but don't you dare like me. You understand what I mean by that? Crown me or kill me. Worship me, obey me, submit everything in your life to me. Or flee from me, live as though I don't exist and kill me. But I will not be liked. It's everything or nothing. Now, uh, here, understand what he's saying. Let's say, my, my, my friend Anthony McMahon is in uh, this audience. He's one of our elders here. Let's say Anthony invited me to his office downtown Los Angeles. And I get to the door and Anthony meets me at the door and he says this, come in Jeff, stay out vines. Well, how do I do that? Jeff can come in, vines needs to stay out. I don't know, I don't even know how to do that because I'm just as much vines as I am Jeff. Jesus is saying, don't you dare say, come in, Jesus, stay out, Christ. Come in, Savior, stay out, Lord. Don't you dare do that. He confronts you face to face. What are you going to do with me? Either worship me, adore me, obey me, 
give everything to me or kill me. How dare you think that you can just like me? Don't you call me good teacher without doing what I've commanded. Don't you call me savior without submitting to my lordship. Don't you dare cozy up next to me on a park bench like we're BFFs with no intention whatsoever of following my teaching, obeying my command. Don't you dare say to me, come in Jesus, stay out God. Now let me go on just a little rabbit trail. And rabbit trails are okay if, as long as I tell you it's one. <laughs> There's a passage in Matthew 13 that has always disturbed me, still does. And it goes like this. Basically, the people come to Jesus and they say, look, we notice that there's wheat and weeds, believers and unbelievers growing up together in the same field. So do you want us to go and pluck out the weeds so we know who the wheat is? And here's Jesus' response. No, Matthew 13, 30, let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And what Jesus is saying basically is you're just not smart enough to distinguish between the two like I am. That's why we don't judge each other, but it's also why we encourage each other. It's also why sometimes we're a little disheartened because Jesus tells us that, you know, everything that glitters is not gold. We may look alike, the wheat and the weeds and seasons. They may do good things. They may teach, preach. They may say the right things, use the right language, engage in great acts of compassion. But the reality is we will never know the real them. We'll never know if they said at one point in their life, come in Jesus, stay out Christ, or if they say, come in Jesus, welcome in Lord. You'll never know that until, and here's what the Bible teaches, until the worst possible place in their lives, then you'll know. Then you'll know. As a matter of fact, what I've learned in 30 years of ministry, the real you comes out at the most difficult time of your life. We're all going to know who you are then. You're going to choose one of two roads. When God asks you to do something really, really hard, you're going to know. If you said, come in, Jesus, stay out, Christ. Come in, save me. Stay out, master of the universe. I had a preacher friend who was in ministry for 25 years. Grew a large church. Great pastor. Great communicator. His elders discovered that he had an addiction to pornography for 20 years. They confronted him on it. But they did it in a way of love. Look, man, we love you, but this is going to destroy you and us. We need to get you help. He was so prideful. He didn't want to submit. And so he left the church, resigned. Not only did he leave the church, but he left his faith. And in a short amount of time, he went from a, a preacher to a raving addict. And probably now is in a ditch somewhere. How do you go from preaching the gospel to rebelling incredibly against God. Here's how. Because you can get a lot of good things from Jesus. Lots of good things. But if the real you is not submitted to his lordship, when something bad happens to you, you'll go and do what you truly want to do. He was always that person. But it took a, a tragedy, a confrontation to bring it out. In other words, if you're a Christian and you said, come in Jesus... And then your life doesn't turn out the way you plan and things aren't going like you hoped they would go. At that point, you determine which direction you're going to go. And it's going to be determined by how much of Jesus you invited in. If you just invited in Jesus as Savior, then the chances are when the rubber hits the road and your life's falling apart, you're going to walk away. And you're going to say things like, well, what good is Jesus? I mean, I thought he was going to help me. I thought he was going to give me everything that I wanted. But what really happened is somewhere back in the past, you said, come in, Savior, stay out, master of the universe. But many people choose the other road. 
in the midst of trial and tragedy, they actually get stronger in their faith. And they go the other way. And the reason they respond that way is because they said, come in, Jesus, and come in, Lord. You're the master of my life. Every day, every minute, every second of my life belongs to you. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem and parks it right in the front yard of the establishment, he said, okay, here I am, crown me or kill me, but how dare you like me? Do not like me. I was talking with Corey Paddock, one of our members here. He travels and speaks a lot for AA. And he's doing quite well now, but there was a time in his life he was in a ditch, basically. Alcohol had ruined his life. He found Jesus or Jesus found him. And now he travels all around speaking. And he says, you know, Jeff, I just had a meeting with him a couple of weeks ago. He says, you know, Jeff, when I travel and speak, no matter where I go, people come up to me and they just want to start whining. They just want to start telling me that their life is so bad. And, and they, want, they think somehow by me listening, it's going to all be okay. And here's what I tell them. Okay, I'm going to listen to you for 30 minutes. You can whine about how bad your life is and about what alcohol's done and how you can't get on top of it and how it's destroyed. You can do that. I'm going to listen without interruption. But at the end of 30 minutes, I'm going to say this to you. I never want to hear that again. <coughs> because it's doing you no good. You've got to move out in the future with intention and change things. Forget the past. I thought as a pastor, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could do the same thing? <laughs> If I could say, dude, you just talked to me about this last week. Stop your whining. Now, we pastors don't do that because we're, we're nice people. We don't do that. We have a lot more grace. But the point is, there, in everyone's life, Jesus will force the issue. He is going to push the envelope on you. He is not going to let you just like him. He's going to make you decide, is he really the Lord and master of my life? So he's going to present you with very difficult situations where you got to choose to obey and to trust or to go the way that you really want to go all along. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll have to leave it there, but Crown or Kill will continue next time as we continue to explore Jesus' ministry as He entered Jerusalem. Every single one of us in this room is guilty because when God doesn't give us what we want, if we've not said, come in Jesus and come in Lord, we'll rebel. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.